This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton. You're listening to the Knowledge at Wharton podcast. I'm Rachel Kipp, Associate Editorial Director of the Knowledge at Wharton website. We're here today with Wharton Marketing Professor Gideon Neve. He's here to talk to us about his new paper, which looks at whether musical preferences can tell us something about people's personalities. Gideon, thanks for being here. Thank you, Rachel. It's always a pleasure. So talk a little bit about why study the link between music preferences and our true psychologies. Why is this something we want to know about? Yeah, so we live in a time when uh, personal amb- personalized music is becoming more and more present in our life through uh, services such as Pandora or Spotify. And we know from past research that when people are giving, for example, the task of getting to know each other, music is one of the first things that uh, they tend to talk about. Uh, which suggests that uh, music is indeed revealing something about who we are. Uh, The question at uh, hand is, in what way can we predict people's personality, uh, basically who they are based on their musical preferences, and uh, what are the actual link between specific dimensions of musical preferences and personality dimensions. Uh, It's important to know that there were studies about this before. Uh, Most of them were uh, in relatively small samples uh, in populations of college students. Uh, they didn't actually look at what people really listen to uh, or natural behavior. Uh, and in this study, we tried to use a large and diverse sample uh, where we first asked people how much they like novel pieces of music after actually listening to them and also looked at uh, people's Facebook likes. Now, these music samples, I should point out, were not music they would have heard before. They're not artists they would have heard of and tell us how you picked those and how you made sure they fit what you were trying to study. Yeah, these were music uh, pieces of unreleased music. Uh, and we know based on previous investigations that they capture a nice variance in individual musical preferences between people. Uh, they consist of uh, five different dimensions that uh, we call music dimensions, a mellow dimension, an unpretentious one, a sophisticated one, an intense one, and a comp- contemporary one. I think uh, later in this uh, interview, we'll hear actual examples of uh, these types of uh, musical pieces. Right. Now, when you say musical preference and personality, you're not talking about, say, oh, you listen to polka or you like John Denver, so I don't like you. I mean, this is going a lot deeper than that and looking at a lot deeper parts of our personalities. Yeah. So first of all, uh, the musical preferences are from actual music that you listen to. Uh, In terms of personality, we used a a model that is called the Big Five. Uh, It's uh, been the workhorse uh, in personality psychology for over uh, five decades. Uh, It's based on uh, the finding that many, much of the individual differences between people in personality can be explained by five main traits. Uh, These traits are openness, uh, which represents people who have, people who are high in openness have more intellectual curiosity, creativity, and uh, prefer novelty and variety. Uh, The second dimension is conscientiousness. People who are conscientious, they are more organized and dependable. They show self-discipline and act dutifully. Uh, They can also aim for achievement and prefer for planned rather than spontaneous behavior. The third dimension is extroversion versus introversion, such that extroverts have more energy, assertiveness, sociability, and they tend to seek stimulus at the company of others. The other two dimensions are agreeableness, the tendency to be more compassionate and cooperative rather than suspicious and antagonistic towards others. And the last one is neuroticism, which is uh, the opposite of emotional stability. People who are neurotic, they tend to experience unpleasant emotions easily, such as anger, anxiety, depression, vulnerability. And these five traits explain something like 50% of the variance uh, in people overall in uh, personality. 
So now you're going to sh- introduce some of these clips to us and tell us what were your, some of your key findings based on people's reactions to them. Yeah, so the first overall finding was that you're, we can predict people's personalities from their musical preferences. We can do it uh, most notably for openness and extroversion, uh, but all traits were predictable uh, and also from the Facebook likes. So actually the Facebook likes did better than uh, the actual music and it makes sense because the Facebook like contain more information than just the pure pure sound. Uh, I think uh, we were quite surprised to see that you can predict personality well just based on how much people rate liking of very short excerpts of as short as 15 seconds uh, in this case. Uh, the specific uh, associations between music and personality uh, were that uh, high openness people, for example, liked mostly sophisticated music. Uh, we define this music as music that is inspiring, complex and dynamic, and uh, it compromises mostly classical, operaic, uh, world and jazz pieces. Uh, for example, uh, this piece, uh, this 15 second excer- excerpt was liking it was highly correlated with people's openness level. <laughs> So this was a classical uh, piece, and uh, here is another example of a sophisticated piece of music that is highly correlated with openness, now an avant-garde piece. The high openness people, on the other hand, disliked two types of music. Uh, One of them is the mellow music, uh, music that uh, is defined as romantic, relaxing and slow and compromises soft rock, R&B and adult contemporary musical piece, uh, such as this mellow piece. Yeah, and high openness people also disliked music that we defined as a contemporary, which is electric, not said, and compromises genres such as rap, electronic dance music, Latin and Europop pieces. And uh, extroverts, uh, on the other hand, liked music that we called unpretentious. Uh, And this music represents uh, music that is uncomplicated, relaxing and acoustic, and compromises country, folk, and singer-songwriter pieces, like this uh, rock and roll piece. I tried to take my baby out, dance the last night. We found a little spot that I thought she would like. We walked inside and I said, let's dance. But she turned around and said, sorry, daddy, not a chance. That's not rockabilly. Whoa, no, that ain't So besides openness and extroversion, were there correlations with other traits? Uh, Yes, indeed, there were correlations, but the correlations were not about specific taste uh, for music, but more for general musical preferences. Uh, For example, the agreeable people showed their agreeability by just liking all of the pieces on average more than than average. Uh, On the other hand, the neurotic people were less likely to like uh, overall pieces uh, without a specific genre involved. Conscientious was uh, the trait that had uh, the least predictive power from our music, uh, maybe the conscientious people just have other things to do. 
They're so conscientious they can't listen. Don't time to listen to music. Yeah, that would work. Now, what is the value for marketers of having this type of information about our music preferences and our personalities? Yeah, I think uh, we live in a time when people are leaving their digital footprints everywhere. And uh, we've learned uh, over the past uh, few weeks uh, that uh, these digital footprints are extremely revealing about uh, our personality traits and about who we really are. Uh, In this sense, uh, once we have streaming uh, services and we have more and more information about the music that people choose to listen to, uh, we can use this to build some models of people's personality and get to know our customers uh, better. Now, of course, uh, this is useful for marketing, but it's also important for privacy reasons and uh, for policy, because we have to be aware that once we are revealing this information that is seemingly innocent, just uh, the type of music that we choose to listen to, we're actually revealing something meaningful about who we are, which uh, potentially can lead to maybe sending us uh, persuasive messages that uh, will influence our behavior, uh, and so so on, as was uh, shown in the Cambridge Analytica uh, scandal. I think that overall, uh, this also has a lot of potential upside. Uh, once you're, uh, once uh, marketers know you better, they may know which products to better match you. Uh, for example, knowing that you're neurotic, maybe I will want to match you things that are good for neurotic people, such as uh, maybe psycho- psychotherapy or uh, specific types of sports that uh, will help people uh, get better. On the other hand, uh, these digital footprints are also uh, revealing of information that can be used maybe to exploit people. Uh, for example, think of a casino owner that uh, can use digital footprints in order to find people who are more likely to become uh, compulsive gamblers or a smoking company looking for potential smokers. So the technology is just what it is. It can be used for the good and for the bad. And I, um, I think that our goal as researchers is to just make it publicly available so we can judge maybe as a society of what is acceptable and what is not acceptable to do with it. Now, the Cambridge Analytica controversy has brought up a lot of these conversations about how much privacy should we have? How should our data be used? How do you think that might change the game for marketers who want to use this data to target customers? I think that in the long run, uh, there is this delete Facebook movement and uh, people are uh, maybe withdrawing a little bit from the services. I think that overall, in the long run, comfort is going to trump privacy. And uh, then the question is just what is legitimate and illegitimate to do with this data. Um, I think that uh, one of the key issues is whether we are allowed to target people individually or we are we have to do this as groups. Uh, one of the important things that uh, Cambridge Analytica could do is just get personalized information about specific people. And once you have people's uh, emails, addresses, for example, you can just send them personalized messages. Uh, which is uh, something that has not been done before with this capacity. Uh, On the other hand, targeting uh, people uh, with uh, specific products or messages that match them is not a new thing. So whenever you read, for example, a golf magazine, uh, the ads that you see in the golf magazine are intended for people who like golf, but also to people who have specific traits that people who like golf typically have. For example, people who are more affluent, uh, people who have... uh, all sorts of personality or psychological profiles, a specific age, and so on. So I think that the society now is the good time to decide of where do we draw the line uh, in terms of the personalization of these messages and also what is a legitimate program, uh, product or legitimate cause uh, to promote using these very powerful techniques uh, and what are not. 
because it seems like there's the importance here to draw strike a balance from the customer side, because on the one hand, customers want their privacy. But on the other hand, we also want things that are personalized for us. We want ads that are personalized for us. We want products that are personalized for us. We want to feel like the brand knows who we are. Not only that, we also don't want to pay for the products and we want to have them for free. So in order to have them for free, we need to let these companies collect data on us. And uh, yeah, I think one of the important things is uh, maybe the new uh, regulations of the European Union. Uh, one of them is giving you the right to be forgotten. So you can actually tell the app if you wish uh, to just forget about you. Uh, again, uh, it lets gives people the power to decide if they want to be forgotten or if not. I'm in doubt whether most of the people will be chosen or will be choosing to be forgotten, but uh, I could easily be wrong. So this is, I think, a very good development for, uh, that actually went uh, uh, into power also before the Cambridge Analytica scandal. Uh, and the Cambridge Analytica scandal maybe brought more awareness of this uh, to, be, to the public. Now, what's next for this research? Well, so there are a lot of other things uh, besides music. For example, there are movies, there are TV shows, uh, politicians. Many people like different uh, types of content. Uh, another uh, issue that we're looking at is uh, just looking at what are the reasons that people like specific types of movies or specific types of, mu of music. And we can do so because we also have information about the lyrics of the music or... Uh, user-generated tags uh, about the films and their scripts, and we can use data mining techniques in order to find out associations not between people and specific person and uh, specific uh, movies, but rather f between people and specific components of the, of the movies, such as sarcasm, uh, e uh, topics like death, uh, or uh, etc. So this is uh, the next thing that we're going to look at, maybe in order to develop a more uh, parsimonious theory that explains the findings uh, that link Facebook likes into people's personalities. Gideon, thanks so much for being here. Thank you very much, Rachel. You can find all of Knowledge at Wharton's podcasts, articles, and more on our website, which is knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu. You can also listen to our podcasts on Apple Podcasts and your favorite podcast app. If you feel so inclined, please leave us a review. It really does help folks to find the podcast. Thanks so much for listening. For more insight from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu.